You're listening to a podcast from IP. Hello and welcome to Injury Prevention. I'm Brian Johnston, the Editor-in-Chief. Our podcasts focus on work that we've published in Injury Prevention, an international peer-reviewed journal. In every issue, we identify one paper as the editor's choice, and that paper becomes the focus of our podcast. It's always free online, so if you enjoy what you hear, please have a look at the website and download the entire manuscript. You can find us at injuryprevention.bmj.com. Today we're discussing a paper titled Injury Prevention and Risk Communication, a Mental Models Approach, which appears in the April 2012 issue. I'm joined by the lead author on the paper, Professor Laurel Austin from the Department of Management, Politics, and Philosophy at the Copenhagen Business School in Fredericksburg, Denmark. Hello, Laurel. Hi, Brian. Nice to be here. So, um, your paper is something of a departure for injury prevention. Uh, we've published it as a special feature rather than an original science contribution because it's really an introduction to a tool that you believe could be useful in injury prevention research and practice. And uh, for the uninitiated, perhaps you could start by defining for us mental models. What exactly is a mental model and how are these going to interact with health beliefs and behaviors? Sure. Well, a mental model, um, probably most simply, is the set of beliefs, including beliefs we have about causality, that a person sort of unconsciously and automatically employs when making a decision. And so our mental models are shaped over time. They develop as we gain experience, as we're educated, as we talk to people. Um, as we gain experience, they become more complex. We know more about a situation, and so our mental models about that thing or that situation become more complex. Um, as we gain expertise, they also uh, become more correct. You know, in terms of how they sort of interact with uh, health beliefs, well, any beliefs we have, the idea uh, within behavioral decision theory is that our beliefs and emotions are sort of evoked in a context, and those shape our decisions and our behaviors. And so any beliefs we have, any relevant health beliefs we have, would be a part of the mental model that sort of comes into play when we're in a situation where we might face a health risk or an injury risk. Well, obviously you believe that prevention scientists ought to be interested in mental models. What, what do you think uh, happens if we ignore these in our work? What risks do we run? I think one of the real strengths of the methodology that we're proposing in the paper is that we first, you know, we advocate first developing an expert view of a risk situation and looking at that from a variety of expert domains. So we call upon experts from a number of domains. Um, so that might be epidemiologists or it might be health practitioners, it might be policymakers and so on, and really take a look at the total system that uh, a risk sort of operates in. So some of the risks that we might face if we don't do that is we take a more limited view on the risk and we might not understand sort of some of the ways that things interact, the various factors that motivate people's behaviors or impact their behaviors. I know in the injury prevention field, there's a lot of focus on passive interventions. You know, that often we get the most benefit from those. If we can redesign a system to actually eliminate or reduce a risk that people face, but, of course, even passive interventions require compliance behaviors or appropriate use behaviors. Um, they can be circumvented if people choose to. I was involved in some research a few years ago in mines in South Africa. We were looking at 
managers' decisions about implementing occupational health and safety equipment. And one of the things we were surprised to hear is that sometimes there'd be personal protection equipment or um, new technologies introduced, and that the workers in the mines would actually circumvent or destroy or not use the kinds of things that they were given that were meant to improve their health, that was meant to be good for them. And so one of the things a mental models approach allows us to do is look at how are these different constituencies within a system thinking about things, what are the correct or incorrect beliefs they have that might lead them to engage in unexpected behaviors or unwanted behaviors, and then, de then develop risk communications that can address the, the beliefs that they have and hopefully encourage them to engage in the behaviors that are in their own best interest. When you set up your approach to mental models and risk communication, you talked about expert conceptualizations, perhaps as the gold standard or, or the more correct model, and then lay beliefs. But I wonder how variable lay beliefs could be. Uh, it seems there might be a tremendous variety of mental models for any given issue. And uh, if we're tasked with understanding maladaptive mental models, how many people do we actually need to survey? How many people do we need to engage in order to be able to, to get a complete idea of how the people that we're trying to protect conceive of an issue? Yeah, I mean, there are, of course, a variety of uh, mental models people will hold. Often you can sort of anticipate groups that will systematically differ in their, in their mental models. So that might be based on level of experience with something, or it might be based on the context in which different people operate. So for example, um, I did some research a few years ago looking at farmers' risk perceptions of microbial risks in produce in their farms. And we interviewed small farmers, medium-sized farmers, and large farmers and found that you know the large farmers were more concerned about risks of contamination through their equipment, whereas small farmers were really focused on risk of contamination through uh, labor that they used because they had a greater propensity to use picking by hand. So mental models can vary by constituency or by level of expertise. Typically, when we do this kind of research, we'll interview maybe about 30 people to get a sense for what are the the beliefs that are held in a population that we're interested in. And then if we want to get more population-level beliefs, we'll develop a survey that's based on what we've learned in those in-depth interviews and do a survey with larger numbers of people in order to get more sense of the population beliefs that are out there. So it seems that the one goal in a mental models approach would be uh, eventually to correct or improve mental models among the, the lay population, but it strikes me that, that a mental model by its nature would be very conservative. That is, people might not even hear messages that don't line up with their existing mental model of a situation or an issue. In your experience, is it really possible to change mental models? How malleable are they? Yeah, um, you're right. It can be difficult to change people's mental models especially um, in situations where when we're dealing with a low probability risk and people might have experience engaging in that risk and they've been successful. And so their experience sort of teaches them that the risk isn't there or that it's very small or that it doesn't apply to them. The methodology really advocates if we can understand how lay conceptualizations differ from the expert conceptualization what are the misperceptions people have or the missing information they have 
that leads them to take risks that they'd probably rather not, then we can develop communications that are designed to address those misperceptions or those gaps and in a language that is uh, sort of natural to the constituency that we are interested in communicating to. In terms of changing people's uh, mental models, one of the papers that we summarize in, in the work that we're, we've got in, in injury prevention is a paper by Julie Downs and um, Brooke Fischoff and their colleagues at Carnegie Mellon looking at teens' risk of sexually transmitted disease. And in that work, they developed an interactive DVD that was developed for teens to help them understand how to reduce the risk of having a sexually transmitted disease. And um, there was a review by Mathematica that showed that that DVD is one of the four most effective interventions in the last 20 years in terms of improving teens' uh, sexual health. So I think there is good evidence that the methodology can be used to develop communications that are both context and audience appropriate and address the needs of that particular audience in that particular context. So in your paper, you outline a series of steps that the researchers or practitioners could use to bring a mental model's perspective to risk communication and prevention intervention. And um, I highly recommend that listeners have a look. It's a very practical approach. I wonder, however, if you're aware of anybody who's explicitly used this mental model's approach in the injury control field, or is this really new to us? Well, you know, the one thing that happens with the injury prevention uh, research is it takes place in a lot of different domains and can be published in a lot of different places. So there has been actually, I'd say, a good deal of work using a mental model methodology that's related to injury prevention. Some of that we do uh, discuss in the paper, so the work by Patrick Cox and his colleagues, and also there was work by Dan Kovacs looking at the use of chemicals in the workplace and how might we appropriately design communications to help people understand how to use chemicals, what are the risks of the chemicals in their workplace, and develop those communications so that they are specific to the context that people are working in. There was also work by Donna Riley at Carnegie Mellon that looked at preventing harm from paint stripper when people are using paint stripper during home improvements. And they found that the context, the kind of room that people were in, certainly made a difference. And uh, one of the things that was most effective in reducing the risk was not only to open the windows, which is, I think, what's often suggested when you're painting or removing paint, but also to place a fan in the room. Really, you could say any work that's related to labeling drugs is related to injury prevention. So I know there's been some work for the FDA that's related to labeling of prescription medication for pregnant women uh, that's been done using a mental models methodology. There's a lot of really nice work out there on the mechanics of labels, on where to place labels and what kind of font to use and what kind of icons to use. The mental models research really provides a way to determine the most needed information and the most meaningful context and the way to present that information that's appropriate to the people who use it. You know, thinking again about some of the work we did in the mines in South Africa, you know, one group where um, mental models can be not as well developed is if you have a, a population where literacy is an issue. And um, so one of the things they found in that work is that in order to communicate in the mines to a group where literacy is, is sometimes a problem, 
is to develop communications that are more based on a cartoon structure and a very visual representation. So I think the method has been used in injury uh, prevention, really in, in a sort of a number of different ways. Presumably, though, you, you also think we could do a better job or use it more widely than we have. And I wonder if there are areas or issues in injury prevention that seem most suitable to you as, as targets for a mental models approach. You know, certainly there's a lot of concern about injury to children. I was listening to the podcast on the uh, under five deaths in India that um, that you did just a couple of months ago. Whenever people are in a situation that's new to them, so for example, new parents or young parents, the risks to children aren't necessarily as a parent or the ways to mitigate risks aren't necessarily as a parent as with more experienced parents. Um, it's hard to control those situations through sort of passive interventions because young children are very active and, and sort of run around and they're hard to watch and it's hard to control their environment at all times. But I think in terms of injury risks to children, there could be some really interesting opportunities to look at what are all the causal factors to, say, drowning or to falls, uh, what are the ways to prevent those. And then if we were to use the method to understand how parents think about these risks, maybe how policy makers think about these risks, there might be different constituencies that we'd want to look at to see if there are ways we can help communicate to parents or to policymakers about ways to reduce the risks of injury to children. I think another area that would be really appropriate for it is more work on occupational health and safety injuries because there we have a fairly well-defined population that's all facing the same context, the same risks, probably have largely shared mental models within one facility, for example. And so it's a fairly controlled and contained place where we might be able to really assess how are people thinking about the risks that they face and then develop communications that are appropriate in that context for that population to reduce those risks. One of the things I, I like about the mental models approach is, is that it makes explicit a stage in intervention development that many of us may engage in, but we don't do it as, as carefully or as systematically as this approach would demand and probably is something that we ought to be taking more seriously. I like your paper because it's a nice focused introduction to the use of mental models in risk communication, but I wonder where we could direct listeners who want a more in-depth introduction to the topic. Are there resources that you would recommend? The one book that we cite at different points in the paper, Risk Communication, a Mental Models Approach, and that's authored by Granger Morgan and Baruch Fishoff and their colleagues at Carnegie Mellon. That's probably sort of a seminal work. Also, um, you know, some of the papers that we cite, I think, as I said, the Julie Downs piece on developing a, an interactive DVD to reduce the risk of sexually transmitted disease is a really nice paper and goes through the whole process and is one of the works that really shows that this method can be used effectively to change behaviors and to reduce the risks that people face. That's terrific. We look forward to, uh, to submissions from authors that incorporate a mental models approach and hopefully we'll see a more widespread use of this method in our field. That was Professor Laurel Austin discussing her special feature in the April 2012 edition of Injury Prevention. The paper, Injury Prevention and Risk Communication, a Mental Models Approach, is this month's editor's choice. It's freely available at the journal's website.
That's all for this edition of our podcast. Please join us in June for highlights of the next issue and check out our blog for ongoing discussion. It's linked from the journal's website as well. For more information about this program and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.